Bienvenidos a Abuelas en Acción. We're a podcast for our common good. My name is Marie Dahlstrom, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Rosemary Celaya Alston. Today, we are continuing our series on what America needs during and after the COVID-19 pandemic. We are talking with guests who have tremendous expertise and knowledge about opportunities for our states and countries to implement equitable health, economic, and social policies. In our podcast, we ask hard questions and name truths about the systemic racism that is exposed during this pandemic. Health, social, and economic equity inequities are not new, but we can see their devastating impacts, especially on Latinos, African Americans, and other vulnerable communities. Our friend, Reverend Linda Jaramillo, said in a recent interview with Abuelas en Acción that the first step in addressing this moral crisis that our country is facing is to name the truth. And the truth is that we're seeing the impact of what our country has become, a country that so much of the time values profit over the well-being of Americans. It doesn't mean we aren't good people, but what it means is COVID-19, this pandemic, has uncovered the veil of pain and suffering of so many Americans who for so many years have, have suffered inequities. COVID-19 is requiring all of us to do soul searching. And on our podcast, we ask the question again and again, what kind of country do we want to be? On May 5th, the Oregon Health Authority reported continued high rate of COVID-19 among Hispanics. Oregon is experiencing disparities in COVID infection like states all over the country. For Hispanics in Oregon, the, the, the rate is 14.3 cases per 10,000 residents compared to non-Hispanics, which is 4.5 cases per 10,000 residents. The Oregon Health Authority states that differences in COVID-19 distribution are likely to reflect the inequitable distribution of power and resources among Oregon communities. The Oregon Health Authority believes by sharing this data, we can identify and continue conversations with affected communities for how to redistribute resources and power to rectify long-standing injustices. The Oregon Health Authority commits to helping the public better understand why the impact of the disease is shouldered by more by certain communities. We are so happy to see the Oregon Health Authority committed to addressing these health inequities. And in fact, we really feel that Oregon is a model uh, in so many ways for the rest of the countries in, in terms of how to address these inequities that have been exposed during COVID. Uh, we know that community health workers, promotores de salud, 
should and will play an important role in the reopening of Oregon and in long-term solutions to health and economic inequities. According to the World Health Organization, health equity or equity in health implies that ideally everyone should have a fair opportunity to attain their full health potential and that no one should be disadvantaged from achieving this potential. It's painful to state the truth that we are all part of the problem, but the good news is that we can all be part of the solution. Health, social, and economic equity can only be achieved by working together. We can do this. We can be a better America, and Abuelas en Acción is excited to host our wonderful guests who have expertise and knowledge and research that are especially important during this terrible pandemic. Today, we are honored to welcome Dr. Carlos Crespo as our guest. Dr. Crespo is professor and director of the School of Community Health at Portland State University. His main area of research involves the epidemiology of physical activity and the prevention of chronic diseases and a lot of research on more minority health issues. He has received numerous national and international recognition, including the 1997 U.S. Secretary of Health Award for Distinguished Service as part of the Salud para su Corazón campaign, and in 2003 became a minority health scholar from the National Institutes of Health. Currently, he is a member of the National Advisory Council of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Active Living Research, Director of the World Health Organization Collaborating Center in Urban and Health Sustainability, and is a fellow of the American College of Sports Medicine. I know there are many more uh, awards and recognition that Dr. Crespo has, but these are a few of them. Welcome, Carlos. We are so happy to have you here. It is totally my my pleasure to uh, be with you and Rose and, uh, and, and Maria and, and listening to the great program that you have. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to reach uh, our community and, and provide whatever I can in terms of my experience and whatever I've learned. And especially for COVID-19, every day is a new day. Every day we have new information. And it's critical that as much as we can, we make this available to the general population, especially communities that would like to hear this from members of their own community, because there's a lot of misinformation. And I'm more than happy to be with you and to share whatever I can with you. Thank you, Carlos. Well, tell us, how are you and your family doing this uncertain, uh, uncertain time? It is, uh, I think I am grateful. I'm grateful for the fact that uh, I have a house and I can go and have access to food uh, and that we are together. And I know that that's not exactly the case for everybody, but I count my blessings. I count the fact that I am healthy and that I can continue to work from home. 
I am uh, happy that we have internet. I'm happy that we are able to continue to work as much as possible, but I am truly aware that that is not the case for everybody. It worries me sometimes, and then you have to uh, give uh, time uh, for the uh, spread of the disease, for flattening the curve, listening to uh, my colleagues in what we need to do. And I know there's anxiety because we don't know. We don't know when we're going to come back to normal. And that is, it's worrisome. Sometimes we know the end and we know when the date is coming. But this time, we don't have a date. We know when the time is right. We know when we see less people dying. We know when we see less cases. That's the time back to normalcy. We don't know that. And that creates anxiety and has an impact on people's mental health. Yes, and that is something that um, we, we don't even know what the end result will be and what, how people's mental health, in addition to their, uh, all of the, 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 the suffering and the economic hardship, uh, is, will, what will be the long-term impact for sure. Tell us a little bit about your personal and career journey to this point in your life? Oh, thank you. So uh, I, I happened to, uh, once I, I have a doctor of public health uh, from Loma Linda University. And uh, one of the first jobs that I had after I finished, actually I was working for the Centers for Disease Control. And I work at the National Center for Health Statistics. It's one of the centers, CDC is it's not one center, it's multiple centers. And most of them are actually in Atlanta. But uh, several of them are not in Atlanta. The National Center for Health Statistics, for example, is in the Washington, D.C. area. And their, their job is to monitor the health of the nation. And uh, what we were doing is collecting uh, population health data. And with that information, then we inform uh, Congress and, 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 and the health and human services about uh, policies and priorities. It was a great experience because now that I moved away from CDC, I can look back and see how important it is to measure things. What I learned was if you don't measure, you don't know it. And if you don't know it, you don't have to do anything about it. So it's critical that we collect data on specific groups, those who have higher burden of disease. Because once you start measuring, eye diseases are happening disproportionately in some groups, then you can uh, justify having interventions. Uh, then after working at CDC, I work at the National Institute of Health, and I also learned there about, uh, and it's not just one institute, there are multiple institutes. Uh, two of them that are relevant now is the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease, and Dr. Fauci is the director of that institute. And I'll tell you a small story about uh, Dr. Fauci. And, uh, and also the National uh, uh, Health Disparities, Minority Health and Health Disparities. Uh, so I had a chance to meet Dr. Fauci when I was at NIH. Uh, he, uh, this is probably like 20 years ago. Uh, he's an avid runner. He runs every day at noon. And, uh, and like you mentioned, I have an interest in physical activity. 
And I, I also run, uh, and I, we would run at noon. We, we never run together. Uh, he, he actually ran faster than me, uh, and, and uh, so I never had a chance to catch up with him. Uh, but it, it was, uh, he is an impressive person from the perspective that he could be someplace else and making a lot more money. If you work for the government, you don't make that much money compared to what your peers would be making in, in private industry. Uh, the fact that he uh, has decided to remain at NIH, he's director of this institute, uh, which <clears throat> doesn't make it a political appointee. He had been asked actually to be director of the National Institute of Health, but that's a political appointee and he probably is not interested in that. Uh, so it's, it's been great that we have somebody that we can trust, uh, especially in, in these times when we have a, a credibility uh, crisis. So after working for the government, I, I went to academia and then I've, I've been in, uh, at the university for, uh, for the last uh, 20, 30 years. Well, Carlos, you are a gift to Oregon. Um, I know that internationally and nationally, we have benefited from your expertise and um, your, your research, but to have you in Oregon is so important because you, uh, I have to let you know, um, I, uh, a little bit about um, my history with Carlos is that I met you when you first moved and you uh, assumed the, your position at Portland State University. And my daughter, who now works for the Centers for Disease Control, she was one of your students in the Master of Public Health program. But you have taught so many of us, in particular those of us who have spent our career working at the community level, you have taught us about the importance of data and the importance of using data to be able to guide our uh, program development and certainly uh, the, the importance of data in policies. And then one more thing before Rose takes over is thank you for sharing that about Dr. Fauci. For Dr. Fauci, for so much of the country, and I under understand the world, has been someone that we trust and he speaks his truth. And um, he has, for many of us, become a, a rock star. And so many people now know the names of people like Dr. Fauci and have learned public health terms that we had no idea. Uh, we didn't know about infectious diseases. We know about them now. Totally agree. I, data is gold. And I think um, you shed some light in terms of how that determines the direction of what we need to do. And oftentimes, data is given a sort of ugly, uh, negative kind of connotation in terms of research. And so, Carlos, you put a face to it, and you make data talk in story. And I think that's what's critical. I would like to know, how has COVID-19 exposed long-term health, social, and economic disparities for Latinos? And why have we not made more progress in eliminating these disparities? Thank you. That's a, that's a very good question. I've been thinking about this for quite some time. We knew that levels of uh, fiscal inactivity physical inactivity uh, 
is a risk factor for heart disease. Uh, we know that uh, physical inactivity in and of itself is not good for health. Diabetes, hypertension, obesity, but even if any of that stuff do not exist, being inactive is not good for you. We also knew that diabetes, it's bad for you, cardio cardiovascular disease, hypertension, and that these risk factors were higher among the Latino community. We knew that uh, people die younger because they have these chronic diseases. But morally, we knew that that was wrong. And uh, we decided to start having specific interventions to reduce these uh, comorbidities. But we haven't made that much progress. And we still have these disparities. They persist. And they're not because we're biologically different than anybody else. At the end of the day, we are all very similar inside. The reason we have this excess morbidities from these conditions is because the environment where we live do not provide the necessary places for us to access healthy food, for us to be able to exercise freely, or for us to have jobs that allows and give us the time to actually be able to recreate and be physically active just like everybody else. For whatever reasons, we get paid less, and then we have to wake, work more hours in order just to have the same standard of living as other people. So we knew this, and we've been saying this for quite some time. And people care, some other people says, well, too bad, I'm sorry. Now, with COVID-19, we realize that we are all in this together. It actually, it was a cliche, it was something that we would say, but now when we are actually spreading diseases to each other, this is a human to human disease. And now we care. Now it's important for us to say, it is important that we all try to be healthy and safe because if we're not all healthy and safe, we're not gonna be able to open the economy. We're not gonna be able to get out of our homes. So there's actually more than just a moral imperative, it's an economic imperative. I think people care now about because until everybody is safe, we're not all safe. Yes, you provide a really good overview of how this impacts all of us in, in different ways. And that regardless of what social economic um, base we're from, that has nothing to do this. COVID has taught us a whole lot of stuff. What policies and legislation, Dr. Crespo, can Oregon and the federal government implement to ensure prosperity and the health for Latinos and other vulnerable communities? That's another very good question. Uh, I, I think our community, the Latino community, is actually younger than the general population. And as we go through these demographic changes, we're still in it together. Even after COVID-19 disappears, we need to like start looking back and realize that anything that we do for each other benefits all of us equally. 
one of the things policy-wise that I think is important is that our children have the ability to get the best education that we could have, that the best uh, access to resources uh, are available because the big majority of the kids in elementary school are Latino kids. And 10, 20, 30 years from now, those kids are going to be the one working and be in the workforce. And if we intentionally or unintentionally prevent these kids to achieve the highest potential that they have, when they go back to work 20, 30 years from now, we need them to be successful. We need them to make a lot of money because the more money they make, the more taxes they'll pay. And the more taxes they'll pay, the more funds we're gonna have for social security and Medicare for all. And this is what we don't understand. We think that we pay now so we can collect it later. It doesn't work that way. We pay now to the site. We pay now, what we pay now is to support Medicare, people that have it now. We pay now to support social security that people are collecting social security now. So if we, are, if we think from that perspective, in a selfish way, but it benefits all, if we actually are able to contribute the most that we can to improve the education of our children. This has other repercussions because these are the doctors that are gonna be taking care of you in the hospital. These are gonna be the nurses that are gonna be taking care of you in the hospital. These are gonna be the teachers that are gonna be educating your children. So it is a very uh, young population now. It's Latinos, we are growing, and it benefits all if we actually, uh, from a policy perspective, make sure that every child in the U.S. has the access to the best education that they can have. Yeah, I think you put a real face to where we are in terms of that um, developmental cycle. You provide a more global understanding of why it's important for every kid to have the best education. And currently, we know that that's, that's not happening in many pockets of the United States. What are your hopes for our country and the global community? Hmm. Uh, I hope that we start uh, seeing each other as, as humans, that we see past the color of the skin, that we see past funny accents or people who are able to speak perfect English and that we can look at a person and see the potential that every human being uh, is able to contribute to our society. Uh, I hope that uh, we don't build more walls. I, I think as we learned with COVID-19, walls are meaningless. This virus has spread across borders, across walls, across bridges, across oceans. This virus has taught us that we are all humans and we are a target for good and for bad. And that it benefit that we as humans start thinking that there is no me, but that the need for us to think of ourselves as one group collectively that need to promote 
health and well-being for all. So Carlos, I think one of the things that we've heard in our dialogue with you today is that in order to strengthen the lives of our communities, it really does require uh, intellectual honesty. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And not just in paper, but just being able to provide communities the ability to understand um, why we have to do what we are doing and why it's important for us to um, continue to move forward as a collective whole. One of the things that I share oftentimes in some of the classes that I've taught regarding mental health is to not view mental health as mental health, but to view health as an overall health, mind, body, and spirit. And to take the negativity out of that, we all have many things in common. We know what depression is like, we know what anxiety is like, but to holistically take COVID-19 and look at this from the we perspective, it's going to be critical that we stop the blaming and the pointing of the fingers and really look um, more holistically as to what I can do, what my family can do to make this a better place for our grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Do you have any lasting thoughts you would like to share, mm -hmm. Carlos? I, I think Abuela Sinaxion is a great, uh, it's a great program, it's a great title, a great perspective, a great concept. Abuelas have a uh, life lessons, have lessons learned, uh, can see the past and can see the future, can see multi-generationally. I, I, I love the perspective of Abuelas en Acción. Can also see the holistic person. We, we like to see people, especially in, in epidemiology, we, we, we look at people and we think of them as, as body organs, like, okay, so here's the colon, here's the heart, here's the liver, here's the prostate, here's, uh, and, and, we, uh, and, and we need to start thinking of every human being as, as a whole person and to see the potential that every human has. And I think an abuela, when they see a little child, and they have seen many little childs become adolescent and then become grown-ups and then become some mothers and fathers. And that, what I think, and I've made this mistake too, we try to forecast, we try to predict how <clears throat> one little boy is going to turn into a good or bad kid and how many times we have been wrong. Yes. How many times we thought, Oh, this kid, he's, he's, he's going to be a pain in the neck. And I, I'm actually, I'm talking by personal experience. It happens that uh, I was one of those, uh, what would we call, hyperactive kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we, the three of us were probably uh, challenging kids. <laughs> yeah. And we look back and we feel sorry for, for our parents. <laughs> and our parents, yeah. Yeah, and, and yesterday, Mother's Day, we, uh, we, it was a chance to say thank you and ask for forgiveness. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's hard to predict how a kid is going to turn out. And uh, I tell you, many of my friends in schools, uh, some of them die, uh, some of them are in prison, some of them die of AIDS, etc. 
and and who we we I I couldn't tell you who was going to be have that uh, final end. Uh, I was lucky enough that I was able to find a supportive group of people in my community who said, you know, I think this kid probably needs uh, an avenue so he can expand and be as wild as he wants to be on under safe boundaries. And I was lucky enough that happened. It was a neighbor who helped me and we went to church and we did different things. And uh, it's one of those things where it makes me realize that every human being has a huge potential and it's incumbent upon us to provide the boundaries so we can develop our capacity to think, capacity to work, our holistic development of mental and mind and body. Uh, and we, if we do that, it, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take that much effort. I, I think a big part of this just takes goodwill, buena fe, and, and then people come around. Totally agree. Totally agree. We at Abuelas en Acción generally, uh, Dr. Crespo, leave with action steps that you don't have to buy. There's no money attached to it. And one of those action steps is that we change. In order to change, we can only do that if we vote. To ensure elections are able to proceed during this pandemic, we need to remove any barriers to voters. Contact your state and federal representatives to urge them to implement no-excuse mail-in absentee voting to every eligible voter. The second one, if you have not completed the 2020 census, please, we encourage you to go to 2020census.gov. Please tell your family and friends to do the same. There is still time. The census is conducted every 10 years, and it is very important that we all get counted. The census provides us critical data that lawmakers, business owners, teachers, and many others use to provide daily services, products, and support for our communities. Every year, billions of dollars in federal funding go to hospitals, fire departments, schools, roads, and other resources based on census data. Like Dr. Crespo was encouraging us to look at data differently, this is another reason why we need to be counted. Thank you for joining Marie and I and Dr. Crespo today. Please be with us next time on Abuelas en Acción. Gracias. <laughs>